Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Well, hello, everybody. It's Jess, and thank you for pushing play today. Today, I have a very special guest. It is Jill from Sober Powered Podcast. I am so honored that Jill agreed to be on the show. And for those of you that don't know who Jill is, Jill is the host and creator of a podcast called Sober Powered. She is one smart cookie, and she teaches people what she's learned about why it's so hard to stop drinking, why alcohol makes us so miserable, and how to embrace sobriety. I hope you enjoy our chat. Welcome back and prepare yourselves. Drum roll, please. Two worlds are coming together. I've got Jill from Sober Powered here. Hi, Jill. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. The honor is seriously all mine. I feel like I have like a celebrity on the show. This is such a treat. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you in advance. Um, For those of you that don't know Jill, I'm going to let her do her intro, but you might know her better or more as sober. Is it sober.powered on Instagram? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sober.powered. And she has the most amazing, inspiring podcast called Sober Powered, which is where you might know her. So Jill, to get started, usually it's kind of, you know, the usual intro kind of telling everybody who you are, where you live, what you do and how long you've been sober for. Yeah. So I am Jill. Um, I live in the Boston area. I am just about two and a half years sober, and I work as a biochemist and a podcaster. I love it. I love it. And so if you don't mind, share whatever you're comfortable with, but this is kind of the part where, you know, you explain why you're in the sober community, uh, what your journey has looked like, your history with alcohol, when you started, and kind of when it started to shift. So I started drinking at 22 because I was the only one that didn't drink. So I had just started grad school and there were a lot of parties and the professors would party with us and there would be parties in the school and people had alcohol on their desks and I was the only one that didn't drink. And I felt that people wouldn't like me if I didn't drink and I wasn't like part of the vibe and the group. So I just started ordering what like the person next to me would get because I didn't even know what to drink. And it took a couple times, but the first time I got like an actual buzz on, I was like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I get why everyone does this all the time. Now I understand and I'm here for it. And then it was just a mess. Um, I didn't, I wasn't one of those drinkers that it was like a slow descent into problem drinking and like I didn't realize you know that it was happening like it was always a thing it was always a mess and I had no understanding of how much was too much to drink I thought if I wasn't drunk in that exact moment 
then I was okay to have more. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know why I didn't realize it was delayed. Um, But yeah, because of that, I was, I was always getting sick. I was always embarrassing myself, getting way too drunk, blacking out. And the first time I started to question it was two years later when my tolerance had doubled. And I, I picked up on that. I was like, this is a lot of alcohol that you're drinking. And that made me realize like, what's going on here? Why don't we just drink less? But before that, I thought, you know, this is just what drinking is like messing up and embarrassing yourself and like, ha ha, laugh it off later. Um, But now I look back and I'm like, no, you were the only one that was getting sick in the parking lot every time. (laughs) (laughs) You were the only one blacking out, but it seems so normal when I was in it. Um, Yeah. And then I tried to moderate for about five years without any success, but I, I really believed that I could figure it out because if you look at, you know, the stigma and what an alcoholic is supposed to look like, it's not me. Hmm. And that, that kept me stuck believing like, well, I have a master's degree. I have a good job. I have a house. I have a a good marriage. My husband doesn't think my drinking is a problem. Hmm. No one else thinks my drinking is a problem. And, and all these things. And it, and it kept me in that loop of trying to figure it out. I have to figure it out. Cause if I can't, it means I'm an alcoholic. And then it means all these things, loser, failure, no self-control. Like I could right. just list them out all night. Um, yeah. And I stayed that way for years and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse until I actually had to address it. Hmm. Wow. And so when you tried to moderate how did you try to moderate? Did you set rules for yourself like most of us do? Or what did that look like? I had a lot of rules. Um, I had notebooks that I would track my drinks in. So I thought, okay, your limit is, I think I set it to like 30 drinks a week, which is like a 30? lot of drinks. <laughs> right? oh my gosh. I'm like, we're just going to start slow. <laughs> Let's be we- realistic. <laughs> yeah. 30 drinks a week, I think is what I said, because I calculated it. Um, I was like, okay, if you have two drinks a night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you can have like more of the, like I had this whole calculation going on to get me to 30 or whatever number (laughs) it was. And I would start the week on Monday. And then, you know, by the end of the week, I already hit, hit my drinks and I had like two left for the weekend. So then I was like, okay, I will start the week on Friday. Here we go. And I thought that's it. Now we got it. But then Sunday, then I have like no drinks left for, you know, the whole week. So oh I kept, I, I got apps to track it. Um, I, I used to wear rubber bands on my wrist. Oh my god! And I would put three rubber bands on my wrist because I was allowed to have three drinks. I read the strategy online. Some guy used to put coins in his pocket. And every time he would get a drink, he would take one coin and move it to the other pocket. And I was like, that is brilliant. Oh my gosh. So funny. <laughs> it and didn't then work. It didn't work. Yeah, I'm sure. And what happens when all three on the other side? And then do you just start over because you've forgotten which pocket? you started with. So then it's like, Oh, (laughs) and you bargain. Oh, for sure. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, those are some techniques I haven't heard about. So very unique, but, um, and I can see the, the scientist in you. Okay. Well, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to put some numbers here, numbers there, and, you know, hope for the best. Oh my gosh, Jill. Okay. So when you, when you removed it, when you started finding success, what did that look like? Did you use a program? Did you do it on your own? Was it kind of a cold turkey? It's got to go. Tell us about that. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I am not like other people. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do know that. (laughs) And because (laughs) of that, I don't need any help. No. At all. Um, So I just decided I'm going to stop by myself. And that is it. Because I'm not like people (laughs) that need meetings. It sounds Um, familiar. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh. So I stopped for 90 days the first time in order to have a healthy reset, decrease my tolerance, and then hopefully moderate afterwards. Um, And that I just like white knuckled my way through it. And I was Mm -hmm. a miserable, angry, unhappy person for most of those three months. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did it because on the other side was drinking again. Right. And then when I stopped for good, about six months later, I again said like, oh, I don't need any help. I'm not like other people. I'm not, you know, one of those bad alcoholics that like needs to go to meetings and and do this religion thing. And Mm -hmm. like, I had all these excuses. And then when quarantine hit, I was about four months sober. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity now because I don't have to be at work nine to five and I can start therapy and I don't have to be weird about having like, you know, the, I got to disappear once a week at the same time every week. Sure. So I started therapy and that, and I still work with the same therapist and that has been a huge help. And so you said you quit right before quarantine Mm -hmm. about four months. Did you find that it was easier to stay sober through that or that you were it was more difficult. It was easier because I didn't have to socialize. Mm. So I quit drinking in November of 2019, right when the holidays were getting started and scientists drink a lot. Mm. So there were a lot of happy hours and holiday parties and like a speakeasy where the only reason you're going there is to drink. And there were a lot of parties and I would go and not drink and then cry after Hmm. because I was so stressed and uncomfortable. And then when quarantine happened, I didn't have to do any of that. Mm -hmm. It was really nice. And I just got to hang out with my husband and, you know, the family I wanted to see. And and that was it. And I got Mm -hmm. to miss all of these events that I normally, like even, even Christmas time and all the Christmas parties that like family has or barbecues in the summer that first year like I got to miss everything Mm -hmm. and it felt like such a gift but now I'm a bit like behind even though I'm almost two and a half years sober I don't have the experience of someone who's two and a half years sober because I've been in a little bubble Mm -hmm. so now I'm trying to learn like how to go to parties and be the only one and have people be like kind of weird and Mm -hmm. yeah sure Well, I didn't realize our dates are so close because I quit in December 
of 2019. And so same thing. I mean, I had done a big attempt, a sober attempt earlier that year, tried moderation again. It's different this time. I can handle this. <laughs> you know, I'm not like everybody else, you know, um, just like what you were saying. And again, epic fail, like just just not the case. Um, but I, too, I felt like it was a gift that I had chosen to get sober right before quarantine because I couldn't go anywhere. And I mean, I mainly drank at home, but not being able to sneak out to get an extra bottle of wine like it just it just wasn't an option so while I know a lot of people did struggle through quarantine I do think there were a number number of people where it actually was beneficial to be home and not have the social calendar you know right in your face so oh man Good, good for us. I'm patting ourselves on the back. <laughs> yeah, we were very lucky that we weren't drinking mm-hmm. when very, this all started. Very lucky. All right, my friend. So this is kind of where I shift gears and I usually kind of focus on the good. So I know a lot of the good that you're doing right now, but I'd love for you to share, you know, just briefly kind of how the podcast came about and how you decided or, you know, made service and giving back a big part of your recovery? Yeah. So when I first stopped drinking, um, a big part of my story was self-hatred and just saying the worst things ever to myself. And when I stopped, I wanted to know, like, is that the truth? Am I really a loser who has no self-control? So I just started reading about it and I really, really needed to understand that. That was like my mission to understand if this was my fault and to understand why this happened to me and not my husband, for example. So I just started reading the science every day um, at night after work. And then when quarantine hit, like (laughs) I work in a lab, so, you know, (laughs) I can't really bring that home. So I had a lot of time. So that became my quarantine project. And then about eight months into sobriety, I was feeling a lot better about myself and I was able to let a lot of that blame go. I still wasn't even on sober Instagram. I didn't know about that community for the longest time. I was just alone and in Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. And I woke up one day and I was just like, other people would benefit from knowing this, that it's not their fault and they're not actually a loser who just can't control themselves. And I thought like, okay, well, how can you share? And I thought like I could start a blog, but then I was like, do people read blogs still? I don't know if those are still cool. I still ask myself that. (laughs) Right. Do people read these? I think, I mean, I do. Yeah. Um, And then I thought like I could maybe do a YouTube, but that felt really intimidating. And then I set it up on a podcast and I just did it the same day. I just recorded and and did it. That was it. And um, service work, I don't know. I just feel it's really important to me to help other people. I feel like I struggled so much and I came out of it with, with so much perspective that I think other people would benefit from. And there are people like me out there somewhere that feel the same way. Like, I'm not like other people. I have this, this, and this reason why I'm not an alcoholic or, 
you know, I'm different and all these things. And then if they could just see me, who's also different, mm-hmm. um, they would, I don't know, be able to accept it easier. I think my whole point is to help people just let go of moderation a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So then everything I wanted to do with my time was just that. Yeah. And it's rewarding. I mean, it's rewarding. It and I don't know if you're the same, but it, it keeps me sober mm-hmm. because now there's this level of, well, no, like this is important what I'm doing and it's not about me, but at the same time, I can't, I would feel like I would be letting people down, you know, to not continue this work, which is yep. pressure on some, <laughs> some days, but um, most days it's just a really good feeling. And actually I actually listened to one of the episodes recently that you had out about about giving back and helping and how much that can bring us joy and keep us sober. And I really, really enjoyed that episode because it reminded us of all the ways that you can give back. It doesn't need to be a podcast. It doesn't need to be a book, but simply what were some of them? Volunteering places, um, you know, being a mentor even or coaching and all of those other, you know what episode, I mean, it's your episode, you know, which one I'm talking (laughs) about, right? (laughs) Just all those ways to continue your work, but help others at the same time. Yeah. And it looks different for everybody. You know, we don't all want to make this our full-time thing or, or do sober stuff like all the time. Some people want to progress in whatever career they had before and just go to meetings and sponsor people on the side. So it's different for everybody. And, and you can find service work in other industries. It doesn't have to be in sobriety. You can help people in other spaces too. It just, it feels good to give back. Um, And like you said, with the podcast, it's, it's powerful accountability Mm -hmm. because I know that I'm doing something important that people look forward to on Friday mornings. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but like on a new episode release day, you wake up, refresh your thing and you see how many people listen to your episode while you were like asleep. Sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's crazy to me. Like how, like my diehards that like Friday morning, as soon as a new episode comes out, they're there. Like if I skipped a day, they'd be in their podcasting app. Like, uh, where's my new, like, where's my new episode? This is how I've started my day every Friday. Somebody's got to check on Jill. We got, we got to check on Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it makes me feel like, I don't know, like what I'm doing matters. And even if I have weird thoughts, you know, about moderating or whatever, I know that I can't pursue moderation and continue to do all this service work. It just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. No, not at all. And I think you bring up a really good point about exploring other areas. It doesn't need to be in the sober community. You know, it can be anything that is meaningful to you. And let's face it, when you quit drinking, I always like to joke that you are given like all this magical time, like it just appears. (laughs) And so dedicating yourself to something like that, you know, could definitely probably help with triggers. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. You have to do something with that time instead of sit around and think about stress or like how much your life sucks or, 
you know, your job sucks or whatever, you got to do something fulfilling with the time. Cause it's, I calculated it. I like to calculate stuff. Apparently you do <laughs> I do. Um, I calculated the time and I spent about 40 hours a week drinking, thinking about drinking, recovering from drinking. So it's like I had two full-time jobs and I quit one. Like that's yeah. an overwhelming amount of time to gain in your life that I didn't even know what to do. I used to go to therapy um, about like two or three years before I quit. And I would ask, what do people do with their night if they don't drink every night? Like I could not understand what to do. Like, why wouldn't people just drink every night and like sit on the couch? Right. Like, what does that look like? What, where are these people? (laughs) Yeah. And my therapist was a mom. She had three kids and one of them was a little baby. So like, I couldn't, I'm not a mom. So she just did mom stuff. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, you're, I'm not getting my answer here. Like, what do people, (laughs) what do people do? I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I had no clue what anyone did with their time. Okay. Well, I'm curious. What do you do now? What else have you filled it besides podcasts? Um, Well, that takes up a lot of time. Yes. So I do that. I play video games. Um, I go on walks every morning and listen to either a podcast or an audio book. I am trying to get back into a regular gym routine. That one's really hard. Um, And I travel Mm -hmm. and I don't embarrass myself on my trips. Yeah, it's nice. And you remember where your car is and you wake up refreshed. It's all good things. (laughs) And I sleep through the night without waking up with a, you know, beating fast, beating hard and hating myself. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. All the benefits. Well, selfishly, I have written down some questions that I'm just kind of curious about because I come from a fitness background Mm -hmm. and for years, years and years and years, my week looked like, you know, three plus glasses of wine every night. And then I would wake up the next morning and run for, you know, for exercise. But I mean, between you and me, well, between you and me and whoever is listening, I think that that workout was my punishment for what I was drinking the night before. And I know that's not uncommon, but I'm curious, there would be so many mornings where I would be running and I'm like, I, I just feel off. Like, I know I'm probably dehydrated, but like, what is going on in the inside? Because this is like the most long-winded question, Jill, bear with me. But like, I remember I was in really good shape from the outside. Like Mm -hmm. people looking at me thought, wow, like she's an instructor. She's fit. She works out all the time. She does marathons. But I mean, being a scientist, I want you to help me out and tell me kind of what was going on on the inside. I mean, for a person that was drinking almost a bottle every night, like what's going on on the inside? I know that this is a very short answer you have prepared for me, right? (laughs) (laughs) After my ginormous question, but I'm curious kind of scientifically, like what was going on on the inside? Yeah. So when you drink alcohol, your body has to get rid of the alcohol and it doesn't like just immediately disappear. It takes time to be metabolized and eliminated. And even if you don't feel like drunk or buzzed, your body is still working on getting rid of that alcohol. And while your body is doing that, 
it's not doing other things. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, women especially will try to get skinny and also drink a lot and then they'll just never see progress. And it's not so much like the drunchies that you're getting in the middle of the night and like, you know, eating a bunch of Doritos when you're drunk. It's more that your body sees the priority of getting rid of alcohol. And the priority is not metabolizing body fat or building muscle or, you know, getting restful sleep. The, 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 the priority, excuse me, the priority <laughs> is just getting rid of the alcohol. Um, yeah. And that is why a lot of people, even if they do exercise every day, like I did, I went and I lifted weights at like five 30 in the morning every day, mm -hmm. I could only gain a certain amount of strength before it stalled. And mm -hmm. then I like never saw any more progress, even though I was there doing the work and, you know, trying to get my macros, like whatever, sure. but alcohol is more important to get rid of than, than almost any other process in the body. And like, your body does other things to keep you healthy. Like it makes sure that your DNA isn't damaged. And if it is, it tries to repair it. So you don't get cancer. <laughs> like, right, so right. there are so many other things that are important besides like fitness. So that is a very low priority for your body, mm. for you to be more fit or perform better or build muscle or lose body fat or whatever. So yeah, the drinking just stalls everything else. Mm. And so a lot of times, kind of what you were saying, like when you plateau, you know, in your weightlifting, is that probably not a reflection of like the programming that you're that you're using for strength, but more so because your body's like, uh-uh, like I can't do anything else right now. I'm too busy, you know, metabolizing all the alcohol. Is that correct? Yeah, because your body to put on muscle, it has to actually build the muscle. It has to actually make it. So muscle protein synthesis stalls or stops or like severely slows down because your body's busy working off all this alcohol and all the breakdown products of alcohol. So even if you're doing everything right and you have the best program, you hire a coach, you do the macros, you weigh out all your food, you will see either much less progress or none because of all the alcohol. And we think it's just like the empty calories or the lack of sleep, but it's so much more than that. It interferes with the body's ability to do like all this other stuff that it would just do normally. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I mean, is that any amount too? I mean, say even for our weekend drinkers, even for our, oh, I only have one glass a night, you know, or, or more, is that kind of across the board? Yeah, it's obviously um, the more you drink, the worse it gets. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you are a weekend binge drinker, you, it takes time to get rid of all of that alcohol that you just like blasted yourself with. So you could be doing a like weekend binge drinkers will typically have a bunch of salads like Monday through Thursday and get up early and like do the workout and then Thursday night, like they'll go for drinks, you know, and then it just like kind of falls apart. And then Sunday they're eating burgers to cure themselves. And, mm -hmm. and you end up in this loop where you're just kind of like undoing the damage that you did over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And then you go do more damage the next weekend and then you undo it. So you're never actually progressing. You're just kind of staying in a loop, even though you're working really hard. 
Mm. And nightly drinkers, yeah, definitely, because it interferes with your sleep, with um, which then interferes with your body's ability to, you know, burn fat, build muscle, recover, all of those things. And it takes time to burn it off. So you're not at your best, even if you feel like you're working hard and you're like doing a good run or you're lifting as hard as you can, you are going as hard as you can because of all the alcohol, but you could Mm. do so much more. Like when I stopped, I gained so much strength so quickly doing Mm. the same exact thing. I hadn't changed my fitness routine at all, but I finally saw like a huge burst in progress. Really, And yeah, and it's very exciting too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just like evidence right there, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, this is where I could have been how many years ago? (laughs) I'm finding that with my running too, where I'm just, I'm getting into my stride faster. My Uh body is adjusting quicker and I'm recovering much faster as well because I'm not crossing that finish line and pounding a couple beers, which is a whole nother conversation (laughs) that we could have (laughs) all those fitness classes that like to pair everything with alcohol. Oh my goodness. Uh Oh my goodness. It's just everywhere. (laughs) Well, Jill, thank you. That was just insightful. And so I know I can go to your podcast and look at so many different episodes that'll answer so many more of my questions. But, um, while I have you here, I would love to hear kind of what's next for you looking forward. So I'm fingers and toes crossed that the podcast is going to be along for a long, long time, but are there any other projects or things that you're working on that you could share with us? One big project that I've been working on is, um, I was actually recently accepted back to grad school. Um, I've gone before, (laughs) but I'm going again to get my master's in addiction counseling. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So that, so I think adding in counseling expertise and experience along with the biochemistry background I have would be really cool. Future aspirations are to write a book someday. I really want to be an author Um, and then continue the podcast as long as people will listen to it. Yep. Yep. I think the feeling's mutual there. (laughs) I know. I'm (laughs) like, I just, it is such a fun gig and gift to, to put these out there and just know that somebody's going to hear it and hopefully be a little more inspired to, to check out this sober community and, uh, oh, I love it. Okay. Well, last but not least, I could talk to you probably for like 14 more hours, but, um, to the people that are listening right now and feeling kind of inspired to make a change, what advice would you give them? I would say that you are thinking about it for a reason and don't ignore your intuition. We question our drinking usually for a long time before we do something about it. Um, But no one questions their drinking and then decides like, oh, I was thinking about that for like no big deal. (laughs) It always (laughs) progresses and you question it more. And Mm -hmm. so you're questioning it for a reason. And I think doing this, like listening to this podcast, consuming other content, in the sober community, joining sober Facebook groups, working with a therapist, 
trying meetings. It doesn't have to be AA. I think just exposing yourself to the sober community and just like kind of seeing what's up. Mm -hmm. You can just lurk and like look around. And I think that would help a lot. I didn't know about the sober community at all when I was curious about my drinking and if it was bad or not. I just thought you had to be an alcoholic and go to AA and then everyone thought you were a loser. Mm -hmm. That's all I thought. So I resisted that for so long. And I think the more people that you see, the more you'll identify with us and and learn something. Um, Yeah. So expose yourself. That's my advice. Mm -hmm. And trust your gut, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're having these thoughts for a reason. Yep. And I love the variety that you listed because that's the thing. Don't listen to just one show. Don't read just one book. Like give, dip your toes in a lot of different areas to see what might resonate with you or inspire you to kind of keep looking. So I love that. Oh, well, thank you, Jill, so much. This has seriously been such an honor and has made my day to be able to chat with you. Um, If people want to get a hold of you, do you mind sharing how they can reach you? Yeah, so I'm sober powered everywhere. You can just search for that. I'm on YouTube. That's my website, my Facebook group, my Instagram, my podcast. So if you search for that, you will find me. I love it. Well, thank you, Jill. I hope you have the best day. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.